Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Wir leben immer nur für die Zukunft. Ewige Stimmen und nie beginnt das Konzert. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host, a man who is totally ready for the future. It's Simon. He doesn't even own a printer. Maddox. How are you, Simon? <laughs> I'm doing all right, thanks, mate. How are you? Sweaty. Really yeah. fucking sweaty. <laughs> That's the first F-bomb of the show, which gives you a sense of how overheated I am. But yeah, I have not stopped sweating since around about Wednesday last week. It's been a roaster. Uh, it's, it's scandalously hot. Yeah, we're, we're both recording in our attics, effectively. And I have my fan sat next to me, but it's turned off because I don't want it to interfere with the microphone. That's how determined I am for this to be a good, clean audio clip. I'm not even allowed a fan, man. Like it's You're not allowed a fan? Yeah, my wife's got a thing about fans. I think she's terrified they might steal her soul or something. I don't know. But There's this thing in South Korea where they also have this thing. Yeah, a fan in a closed room will will kill you. Yeah, yeah. I think my wife has that too. <laughs> I mean, my wife sometimes, she will say, oh, can you like turn it down or turn it off or stop it moving because it dries her eyes out. And I, I'm sympathetic to that. Of course I am because... Mm. I feel that same sensation, but it comes to the discussion of like, what is worse, you having dry eyes or your husband being a depressed, sweaty mess mm-hmm. uh, on the verge of of running outside and and with now on mm-hmm. to douse himself in the hose. Uh, nobody needs to see that. Well, yeah, I mean that's it, isn't it? I think I'm not built for anything over 25 degrees. Like um, <laughs> I, my entire system shut down essentially over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I was I was running on autopilot, and I was just like, "Go here, stand there, do this." So I had my wife's birthday, and all the family came over, and I just functioned. But that was basically it. I couldn't do any more than than function because mm-hmm. it was just yeah, it's just so hot. And I, I worry, I worry that I've chosen to live in this country that doesn't seem to cool down in 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 the summer. It just seems to be sort of red hot and then today like yesterday it rained it cooled down i said all right i woke up and it was quite cool and i was like oh it's like a solid 10 degrees cooler than yesterday i can live through this taught a class stepped out of the building i was like all right now it's back to 30 degrees again great fantastic (laughs) instantly sweating um there's nothing less desirable than a sweaty englishman trying to teach you pronunciation that's all i know i'm thankful i haven't had to be in a classroom because, yeah, the stink that happens in a university classroom is pretty disgraceful. Yeah, I mean, that and the U-Bahn. I, I try and keep things in perspective, because obviously it was hot. We had, what, 37 degrees over the weekend, both days. Uh, so definitely really, really hot uh, by anyone's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I remind myself that it wasn't that long ago that I was living in, in the Pacific Northwest and we had over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, with forest fires, meaning that you couldn't go outside because the air quality was so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And then I think back to my little AC unit and how much I loved it, <laughs> how much I miss it now. And I keep threatening my wife that if we have a couple of days where it gets to 40 degrees, like I'm buying an AC unit. I don't care about the cost. I don't care that my windows aren't necessarily perfectly compatible with it. Uh, there is going to be a room in this building where I'm going to be able to sit comfortably and not just want to die 
I did find the benefit of having a basement mm-hmm. and that it was a clear 10 degrees cooler in the basement, but you, you can't live in the basement unless you're going to become a troll, I suppose. Like if you live on the top floor of a, a block yeah. of flats, that's oh. the worst. If you have a metal roof, that's even worse. If you have a house like yours that you had in Portland, which was almost like, it was like a prefab house, wasn't it? It was, it felt like it had been put up in like a day. Yeah, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have taken long to build. Yeah, that's true. It was a lovely house, but it was, it, the materials weren't breathable, shall we say. No. And so your, your, your living room would become like essentially a hot box, which was not always a bad thing, but it would become a hot box. I remember trying to watch you play Doom <laughs> on a, like a sweltering Wednesday and just I couldn't comprehend anything that was happening. My brain shut down. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> like basic functions only. Yeah, your your time visiting did coincide with one of the hottest periods that I experienced in my entire life. Yeah, uh, and we did a city tour <laughs> because yeah, I know. you guys are new to the city. <laughs> I, I mean, I would have been happy just to lie on the floor quietly and and, and not do anything. And my wife's family have this thing about like, oh, it's 37 degrees. Let's see if the Englishman can walk 14 <laughs> kilometers. And I'm like, why are we doing this? I wore black. I wasn't ready. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's this desire to spazier again. And that takes over every other possibility. In fact, that's why I found myself watching a dressage competition at a farm just across from where I live in 37 degree heat. Oh. I drank two Rattlers because you can't drink like a full pint in that weather. It might have killed me. And I feel like they evaporated as I was drinking them. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had them very long and they were just gone. But the last place I wanted to spend like that, <laughs> the time in that heat was in like a, essentially a tent watching people with dancing horses. It was a very weird Saturday Sunday event. I mean, are you sure you were there and it wasn't just some like mad heat stroke hallucination? There were real horses. There were real people riding them. I don't have any tangible evidence that I was, so I could have well been in the basement just freaking out. (laughs) Who knows? I feel like I was there. I feel like I went to it. So you're going to be investing in some jollipers for next season and we're getting into a bit of the old dressage. I don't mind that concept of riding horses, but like all of that. It just seemed unnecessary in the, uh, given the weather conditions. The other thing as well is all these people in like in horsey gear and they're just, none of them were sweating. Yeah. I just felt like I was sitting there in this puddle of sweat, the most pale ginger Englishman that anyone's ever seen with his big white legs and his shorts, <laughs> sitting around all these like people just dealing with the heat significantly better. No one's sweating. Everyone's just laughing and joking, having a good time. And I'm like, why are you, able, how do you communicate? How are you talking? <laughs> Like, how are you laughing? Like, why is no one just sitting still for fear that they'll 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 just totally fall apart? Like, I stood up and I felt like I'd been sitting in a puddle of water. Like, you know, like <laughs> just you could feel the sweat dripping down my back, and I was like, "That's distracting." How is this not happening? To but apparently not. Yeah, I don't know what the German for swamp ass is, uh, but there's got to be a term for it. I, I feel like it was cleaner than that. It was more <laughs> like um, it was just a bit sweaty. I don't want to use the term swamp ass. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean any native speakers out there can translate swamp ass elegantly for us uh we're all ears send an email to simon if i <laughs> I'm, de- I'm deleting any emails with a header of or subject line that's swamp ass i'm just going to instantly delete just remember that <laughs> yeah so aside from it being super hot what what else you been up to i mean did you do anything specifically to avoid the heat or were you hiding in the basement or i refused to cook indoors so i I barbecued both days on the weekend 
uh, in sweltering heat. Makes sense. But yeah, it, it did make sense. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday morning, before breakfast, my wife said that she'd seen our, our next door neighbour, who's a lovely grandma, shout out Valtraud, and she does her daily walks in the woods, as she said in German. Uh, it's still nice and cool there for now. Uh, and then my wife and I looked at each other and we go, yeah, let's go for a walk in the woods whilst it's still mm-hmm. not 37 degrees. And yeah, we packed a rucksack, some water, uh, swimming gear and jumped into the canal and yeah, swam in the canal for the first time, which was a very liberating experience, I have to say, very cooling. I uh, enjoyed it very much. So yeah, breakfast dips in the canal. Uh, it's not an everyday sentence, but can heartily recommend it i mean i feel like you're going against your british programming given that we were warned as children through various different government sponsored advertisements telling people not to swim in canals if anything avoid swimming in canals is this canal so so swimmable like how come it's you're not dead is basically what i'm asking (laughs) well i mean obviously with the nature of the the mind on our canal is it is a monstrous thing that does handle real industrial levels of shipping um but we live very close to the lock uh the main central lock by the half and by the harbour in Nurburg. and there's one section where we went to where you basically have steps down to it and then you've got about five meters of space before you really enter into the canal's current it's like a almost a dead pool of water when my wife first got in i could see the current and i could see that it was moving fast and i said to her like you cannot go out into that like that will that will take you mm, yeah uh, and we'd seen people swimming in it before in dry suits uh during the autumn and the guy was swimming as fast as he could and he was just staying stagnant so we knew that the current was was definitely risky but then three minutes later a lock at one end must have closed or opened and then the water went completely slack rose up mm-hmm. 15 centimeters and was really still mm-hmm. for half an hour and so, yeah, it was a bit unnerving, like feeling and seeing the water change and, and the current shift. Yeah. But yeah, we were definitely hypervigilant to it. I, I wouldn't recommend it after a few beers or without someone being, without someone watching. Because yeah, there are large ships and there's a massive, massive lock uh, designed for things that transport hundreds and hundreds of tons of, I don't know, tulips uh, from the Netherlands. I don't know what's going a lot of Dutch boats, <laughs> that's what I've noticed. Yeah, just loads of tulips that fucking love tulips in Nuremberg. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a great idea. We've got a lake near us, a couple of lakes, actually. Maybe I should just go swimming in them. Yeah. Uh, you've sparked an idea in my mind. Um, watch this space for the episode where I explain how I almost drowned. <laughs> <laughs> in, in what constitutes a giant puddle. Uh, yeah. But, well done, mate. I mean, you're braver than me. Uh, as, as my wife, she's the motivation for these kinds of things. So yeah, uh, hats off to her. Uh, I would have just sat in the shadows, uh, <laughs> clutching my Xbox controller next to my fan. <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely the right move. It's not a bad world, is it? It's not a <laughs> bad world. Anyway, moving on to one last topic before we get into the show proper. Uh, I was going through my inbox today for the show and deleting emails because I get a lot of irrelevant podcast emails, a lot of very weird requests from what I assume are AI emails. But one thing jumped out at me. It was an email from February this year. Oh, was I was totally from February? Yeah, it was from February. <laughs> from one of our listeners, Max. And it, the title of it was, Question! Big exclamation mark. And I, I'll read you Max's email. It says, Hi, lads. Really happy that you've opened up your show to questions so I can tap into your German wisdom I mean, I'll be honest, Max, wisdom might be a, 
might be a bit of a strong word, but my question is, why is it impossible to buy thick bleach for the loo in Germany? I looked everywhere at no avail. Best you can find is Dan Clorix, is what it's called. Yeah. And you'll need to use half a bottle because it's like pouring water. All other products do nothing aside from delivering intense blue colours and the illusion of cleanliness. I'd love to know the answer to this nonsense. Do I need to smuggle crates of Ocado thick bleach? Question mark. P.S. I love your show. Mm. Hey, Max, we love you too. Good lad, Max. Sorry for how long it's taken Nick to read that email. I'm holding him entirely responsible. Yeah, blame me. <laughs> I replied instantly, and then I got an instant reply from him saying, hey, "Don't worry about it; uh, it's fine." But can you answer the question? <laughs> uh, so let's let's try to attempt to answer the question. Is this something you've noticed? This issue with bleach? Not at all. Uh, to be honest, no, not at all. My relationship with cleaning the toilet is probably this, uh, this is going to sound like a very weird tangent, but because I went to boarding school and like lived in like a boarding school environment for most of my sort of young life. Cleaning the toilets was something that was done by uh, sort of an external service. Uh, and then when I started cleaning my own toilets at university, I was just a fan of like toilet duck. And if it smelt great, that was going to be the one I chose. Uh, I'm a sucker for a nice sounding fragrance. Yeah, so the smell of bleach kind of takes me back to boarding school and it's not something mm. I'd, I like to use at home. Uh, mm-hmm. So no, I, I can't say I've pined uh, for thick bleach at any point in the last few years. I will say I've noticed when I try and wash the floors because you would get like Domestos in Britain and you just bung it into a bucket and then you could clean the floors and it's not it's not the nicest smell. It does smell very mm. bleachy, but you can get different smelling ones. But I noticed when at first when I moved that the cleaning products were it just seemed naff. The Frosh mark, I think it is. Oh, yeah, that's nice. It's very, very popular. They make various different uh, Vosh metal, uh, so everything from detergents for for washing clothes to mm. to bleachers to baby products, blah 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 blah. And I find that is pretty watered down. And, yeah. and what I've sort of discovered is there is a, a distaste, whether that's a company decision or a consumer decision, with like chlorine based products. So mm. a lot of Americans have trouble finding chlorine based products, but you can buy these things on Amazon if you like uh, or you can do a bit of shopping around because you have to remember if your uh, supermarket is a little then you're probably only going to get the, the frosh kind of products or the own brand products you're not going to get maybe anything stronger if you have a raver it depends what kind of franchisee is running that raver as to whether they will supply certain products because they really sort of specific to their local consumers but I would try like an Edeka maybe, a big Edeka or a big Raver. You might find what you're looking for or you can just order it online ultimately. But there does seem to be like, um, I think it may be more to do with protecting the environment. And certainly when I was in the US, everything smelled like chlorine. Yeah, there does seem to be the general movement here in Germany, the, a softer approach to cleaning products. And of course, that is commendable. But I think if you've grown up in a country where that isn't the approach, you can feel like you're being cheated a little bit if you spend five euros on a cleaning product and it is, as you say, like watered down. It doesn't clean as aggressively as a, as a UK Sillet Bang, for example. Mm. Um, yeah, you can feel like, oh, this isn't cleaning in the, in the way that I would like. 
I mean, you mentioned mm-hmm. buying online. And I'm sure Amazon has these kinds of things. But I did also find um, a company I've ordered from. Um, I would love for them to sponsor us <laughs> if it does come up. Um, BritishCornershop.co.uk. Mm-hmm. They stock a load of stuff from the UK, including Marks & Spencer's products and pretty much everything. Some of the stuff is very, very heavily marked up. And so I wouldn't recommend it for a regular purchasing experience. But I have checked and they have Parazone. I don't know how you feel about Parazone, Max. Uh, but if you like Parazone Thick Bleach Original, that is available for $2.85 uh, a bottle, which is definitely three times the price of a normal bleach in a supermarket here. But if it's three times the thickness, surely it's worth it. I don't know. So. Max, if you do buy it, let us know, and uh, we can continue to spread the good word of Parazone Thick Bleach Original. Yeah, who knew that Decades From Home were going to be the experts in bleach purchasing, but here we are. (laughs) This is what's happened. Episode 80, the bleach episode. (laughs) And we're going to need bleach in a minute. We'll clean out our ears after some of the shit we're going to talk about later on. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, We better better move on then, I suppose, to (laughs) to the awful topics that we're going to discuss. (laughs) i keep saying it germany urgently needs to catch up when it comes to digitalization it's no longer just about saving paper or establishing a system that saves you having to go to the citizens registration office digitization is the basis for the technologies of the future ai 3d printing autonomous driving internet of things automation Unless we fully digitise our country and school soon, we have no realistic chance of playing a role in any of these areas. So says business entrepreneur, TV star, author Frank Talen in a a recent article for uh, Shing.com. It's essentially the German equivalent of LinkedIn. And he posted this long diatribe about the issues of German digitalization. But we're talking about Frank Thielen, not because of his great ideas, but actually because of a very specific thing that he said (laughs) that he got a lot of um, heat for on the internet. And not the first time either, where he said uh, in Germany, he said, Kinder müssen lernen wie Elon Musk und Jeff Bezos zu denken. This idea that children need to think like Elon Musk and learn how to think like Jeff Bezos. And a lot of people reacted uh, quite negatively, unsurprisingly, to these statements. And uh, he's uh, promoting this uh, new idea. His book, of course, I think it's called 10 Times DNA, um, which we'll get to mm-hmm. in a second, which is advocating a total gear shift, I think is the language he'd probably use, with regards to education and focusing on things like programming and other uh, way, different ways of thinking and creating new mindsets in children so they will become the entrepreneurs of the future. So, Simon, do you want the children of Germany to become the entrepreneurs of the future? Is that the plan? Well, I mean, obviously, we've both got experience teaching at private universities here. And I would say that well over 50% of the students I taught were planning on becoming entrepreneurs after they got their degrees. This is very much a mental position of 18-year-olds in Germany. A lot of them want to start their own businesses and be independently wealthy, So I don't think it's that much of an issue uh, to encourage entrepreneurial spirits uh, in the youth of Germany today. But I I, I do think that promoting a sort of more technologically driven education system is not necessarily a bad thing. 
Now, it's worth mentioning as well that Herr Thelen um, is, of course, Nick mentioned a TV star. Uh, he is part of uh, Hollanders Leuven's, which is Dragon's Den in the UK or Shark Tank uh, in the US. Uh, so he's a, a multimillionaire investor who buys percentages of people's good ideas and invests in them. If you have watched the show, you will know that he is by far the most obnoxious uh, of all of them, and he is not afraid of speaking his mind. So it's no surprise that he's telling people how to raise their children, which, yeah, people love hearing that. Parents love being told how their children should be thinking. It does seem to be of the move fast, break things archetype of Mm -hmm. business people. I find them in measures annoying and sort of ridiculous at the same time. Uh, He's actually got quite an important position in the German government as part of the Innovation Council. So he's been a part of that since um, May 2018. Uh, So he does have a lot of political power. But we know this has happened not because of his fantastic ideas or his business acumen. It is because he is a recognisable face in the sector Mm -hmm. that the government can wheel out and be like, look, this is Frank Tillen of, of TV fame. Uh, and young people go, oh, yeah, I, I know him. He's He's got lots of money. He he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he is a business rock star uh, in terms of the German media, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But he's also a prick, and I do have a bit of a problem with that. <laughs> uh, well, let's go through what he said, and then we can talk about his ideas. So he sort of caveats everything with, uh, we must dare to think bigger. We have to learn to take risks and rely on new technologies, even if there's no blueprint for them, which is kind of what you'd expect, that kind of hackneyed, inspirational or semi-inspirational way of talking that managers around Germany seem to have adopted. Essentially, what he's advocating for is a better digital education uh, and reform of education Mm -hmm. so that we can catch up with the US and China with regards to innovation. And he said that the best place to start is obviously in the schools. And he says quite boldly, programming should be on the curriculum instead of Latin. Instead of reading about the decline of the 19th century entrepreneurial family in Budenbrooks, our children should know the origins of today's most successful companies. They should understand how an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos thinks and acts and what options are open to them. Business and the media should also be an integral part of the new education system. In order for our youth to start the companies of the future, they must first understand how entrepreneurship works in detail. In my opinion, the basis for this should already be laid in schools. We have to digitalize schools so our children can survive in the companies of tomorrow. So he's essentially advocating a lot more digital lessons. Also, the digitalization of um, a lot of classrooms, which I think we could probably agree with. Um, there's some work that needs to be done there but how how do you feel about that let's take the first thing programming should be on the curriculum instead of latin what do you think of that i mean i i I was forced into doing latin for many years and i hated it but it has proved itself to be of some use obviously i don't go around using latin in my everyday conversations but there are times where i realize i know that because i studied latin so i think in the grand scheme of things Yes, programming, it would be a very good replacement for something like Latin, although to argue that Latin is a complete waste of time, I would disagree with. The same with his idea of the idea that 19th century literature is suddenly a complete waste of time, uh, I find quite demoralizing because 
when we look at the German educational system, a big focus is about Goethe, Thomas Mann, Schiller, and that is a pretty key part of the identity and the culture of the nation. So it does, it kind of screams of this is what CEOs of Facebook would say. And I think that's kind of what he models himself on in some ways. Mm. Insofar as like wanting to know about the origin story of these companies, that's not more than an hour and a half of anyone's mm-hmm. time, really, uh, to teach that. It's not a complex story, really. And then looking at these individual men themselves, I'm not sure that either of them have proven themselves to be particularly fantastic role models. But yeah, digitizing schools, I think, is is a pretty reasonable thing to say. But then comparing it to like like America, because the American education system is probably less digitized than the German one is today. And they're using textbooks in many, many states that are massively outdated uh, and supplies are very, mm-hmm. very limited. The idea of tablets and laptops being provided for millions of kids in the US is just not realistic. So I think it's a noble enough idea to like get them started early, but I'm not sure how well these these analogies really stack up. What about you? What do you think of this? I mean, one of the things that was telling, and I always find that interesting, is like, where do these people start? And he had his education through a a sort of private gymnasium, essentially. And that, that was something where we sort of began his journey. I always find that those people who go through private education and then go into business don't really understand how education works in the rest for the rest of people, regardless of what country they're from. I feel they always have like a very narrow understanding. And what I read and what he's written in this post is a man who doesn't understand education. But equally and ironically, he is coming up with these ideas that the, the exact opposite of innovation. They're like, we'll just scrap some subjects and then replace them with other subjects. And you're like, okay, how innovative is that as an idea? If you want innovative thinking, why don't you create an innovative answer to this situation? And you look at other parts of the world, why not some kind of summer school for kids who are interested in program? Do we need everyone to be good at programming? Mm. As far as I'm aware, and I know this, if I want to learn C++, right, I can do that in an online course. And a lot of them for free as well. There's so many programming courses for kids. All you need to do is make those facilities accessible. You could have summer schooling for kids who are interested in those subjects without disrupting uh, the entire curriculum for education. Other ideas could be additional classes, after-school programs, stuff that's instituted by state or national government, or even invested in by entrepreneurs such as uh, Mr. Taylor. And I think those are actually more interesting ideas. But if the target is to be like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, billionaires are a sign that your system is failing. If you have billionaires in your system, it is a failure of your system. Billionaires shouldn't exist because what Elon Musk does and what Jeff Bezos does, and Elon Musk is a great example, all this bollocks around Twitter. I mean, it's 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 very mm. much a vanity project, as you could argue a lot of the things he does are front-facing him dancing on stage or him opening a plant or it's his face on everything and uh, you look at the ethics of his company you look at the fight against worker councils trying to undermine Mm. unionization and jeff bezos is the same he doesn't want unions which is a good reason to have them i would say these are not people who are really to be admired and and how did elon musk make his money well he made his money because he started with money 
that's the truth of it. He invested in cleverly in, in a lot of different technologies and made a lot of money. Good. He's a good at in investing. Great. But you can hardly tell the story of of either in Jeff Bezos the same. He got a loan of two hundred fifty thousand dollars from his parents. Like if your story of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos begins with, well, first kids, you need to get someone to invest two hundred fifty thousand dollars into your idea. Well, <laughs> what are you teaching them? You're going to teach them how to go with begging bowls to the bank or to the next rich person they know. I don't know what we're going to learn from those stories. And if you want to digitalize. Germany and turn Germany into this modern nation and you have this idea why in God's name are you using Silicon Valley as your example like what is it Silicon Valley produced except some of the worst aspects of social media Facebook I mean look at Facebook as the archetype right you had a high school kid who may or may not have come up with a good idea may or may not have stolen his idea um, regardless has made a lot of money on, on this idea he didn't know what he was creating and whoops Two decades later, he's accidentally created a country, essentially, of, <laughs> of, of 500 million people. And, and it needs to be run in a very particular way that he has no real concept for and they have no real plan. They accidentally influenced elections or actively influenced elections in some cases, if, if you look at how they've edited mm. posts and stuff like this. And so do we want like the bull in the china shop of Facebook in Germany? I don't know that we do. Why Why are we not coming up with a German-centric concept for, for our modernization? Why are we looking at US and why the fuck are we looking at China? Do we want a mm. system where the government surveils everybody, has facial recognition technology, has this social currency that if you do something against the party, you will be banned from using vending machines and public transport? Like, yes, they have great AI. How are they using the AI to subject their society to... Uh, mass surveillance so i mean great they've got technology but how are they using it and and, and it just seems directionless it seems like and, and even the idea and i know i'm going on a bit but even the idea 10 times dna just sounds like every wanky business textbook that i've seen in every company and with some guy turns up who looks exactly like mr Talon and spouts the same shit with great buzzwords but actually where's the substance that's what my thought is to come back to children, because this is what he's really thinking about, if we ask the, the standard German in the street what they want for the future, top of their list is not more entrepreneurs or more agile AI providers in Germany. Like people are actively concerned about the future for children. And I think what Frank really wants is the strongest business economy mm -hmm. possible. But that doesn't mean that he's advocating for the best Germany mm -hmm. possible. And I think that this is where his idea falls flat on its ass because there are lots of highly conscientious people who are far more concerned about the environment in 20 years than how digitized schools are in Germany in 20 years. Of course, there is room for improvement. Of course, things could be better. But I don't think the average parent thinks, oh, I really hope my kid grows up to be an entrepreneur. That's just not what people want. It is risky. A lot of them fall on their ass and a lot of them fall on hard times. Of course, Frank is having the best possible life uh, for a German entrepreneur, but it is a dangerous path to, to send a load of kids down. And of course, coding or IT-driven stuff, it's fine. It's a good industry. And of course, it's going to be a very employable sector in the future. But what kind of country are you going to end up with if everyone's just doing fucking programming mm -hmm. uh, at university? Like, mm -hmm. We need 
a bit more diversity, please. Well, not everyone. No. We don't need that many programmers because then we just have the problem of we've got too many programmers and no one to employ them. And surely this is a sector as well that eventually AI will just do all of it. Well, that's that's what you're seeing. He, he uses a word that I heard a lot, which is um, agile. And agile is this term that they use in offices to talk about organizational systems. And it sounds great. And it's all about sort of teamwork and bringing teams together and bringing people close together and speeding up software development and, and agile appears in loads of different places and loads of different applications that it doesn't really need to be in but if you look at agile what it is is organizing the system to find out the bits that we can offload to ai now and then building essentially a framework to digitize and remove people from the system until we have the most efficient system which will probably be a mostly ai system but that's the framework it's like a coding framework of organization for your departments and that's what i saw every day with these ideas these workflows and streamlining and meetings and where we stand next to a kanban board and we move stuff on a board it's essentially just preparing the way for digitalizing people's jobs and and that is fine and that's not how they package it. Mm. And I think that's ultimately it. How many programmers will we need in the future? Probably not as many as will be produced under a system that focuses entirely on programming. And equally, who teaches that? How do you teach it? Do we need do we need iPads in schools? Is that actually beneficial? What do educators say? It just he seems like a person who's never planned a class, never really been to the inner workings of a school, doesn't really understand the the problems that they're facing. Just getting decent Wi-Fi in a school would be a step up. Mm-hmm. Do that first, and then we'll see. Like all of this stuff is very pie in the sky kind of visionary thinking, but it's about eighteen steps ahead of where we actually are. Did we have these systems in America that created Silicon Valley? No. No. So so why do we need that? And equally, when Germany became this manufacturing powerhouse, how many of the things that they were producing did they invent? Like, not a lot, actually, when it comes down to it. They certainly made the manufacture of those items and products more efficient, more effective, more industrialized. But we don't have to necessarily be creating these grand visions actually the Mittelstand makes um, a lot of money on the fact that they make a very very specific thing like a ball bearing to such a high standard that people want it for bmw want it or 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 mercedes wants it or siemens wants it or whoever and they produce these these very specific things that's something to consider as well maybe we could be focusing less on these grand plans and more on these specific ideas but I think when you're someone like Frank Thielen, I think you spend a lot of time thinking about how great you are, you know, and how visionary you are and how if only people would just listen to my great ideas. I think the worst thing that could happen to education is we let him in any way get involved with it uh, personally. I mean, there's one way I think he could be very heavily involved in education, which would be positive. And that's him and people like him paying more tax. So, of course, the school system in Germany is already one of the most expensive because salaries are high on teachers and so yeah more money would definitely help the situation and taxes are a great way for entrepreneurs to help Mm -hmm. in that situation Mm -hmm. i also think it's funny you mentioned uh, inventions uh, because i think this is a really interesting uh, aspect on this um so i had just a very quick google and i've got an article here that i'm not saying is a definitive one at all but the top 10 inventions uh that germany has apparently come up with diesel engine is the top of the list, which is definitely fair, hugely important. The Bunsen burner uh, is next up. 
um, very important for chemistry lessons. Uh, the electron microscope, no arguments there. The printing press, of course, very, very key. The radar system, massively important. Helicopters, yes, please. And next up, gummy bears. Yeah. <laughs> Digitize the gummy bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gliders, uh, Fanta, and the coffee filter. So, yeah, I mean, if we stack it up against Scotland, uh, a far smaller nation, uh, Scotland has definitely smashed the shit out of that in terms of top inventions. So I think that's an interesting tangent. Uh, thanks for making me think about that. But, yeah, pay more taxes. Give them to schools. Let's, let's do this if you're serious, Frank. Yeah, or, or just come up with a plan that doesn't require me to buy your awful book. <laughs> Uh, moving away from Frank Talen's vision of entrepreneurial Germany, and we get to Germany today, and uh, it turns out that in some ways Frank Talen might have a point. <laughs> At least uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz might agree with him, as he recently gave a speech at a tech conference in Germany where he mentioned the issues he'd had trying to get a passport in Germany. And he said that he had to go to apply for a passport and an ID card in person because it was not possible to do it online. And this was at the Republica Digital Conference in Berlin. And he said, I drove there. There was no other way, adding that you would like to see such services offered via the internet in the future. So there is some room for updating the systems that we're, we're living under. Um, do you recognize this problem that Heschold has been having, Simon? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the only question I really have is why did he decide that this was the place to talk about it? <laughs> Digital conference, like, look how bad things are. Um, I think this would have been better, not into this audience in particular. But of course, yeah, this is the nature of the administrative side of living in Germany. I don't have a German passport, so I haven't dealt with that particular process myself. But I did, of course, have to get my Aufenthalts title, mm -hmm. my card to allow me to stay here. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised by that whole procedure. And I think one of the saving graces, at least of, of mine and others' experiences here in Nuremberg, is that all of the staff that we encountered at the centre, which of course was a new centre created by Brexit, they were all young. They were all like 18 to 25 years old. And it seemed like quite, I'm going to use the word, quite an agile experience. Boo! Boo! Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. There wasn't any real resistance. Uh, at no point was there any feeling of like, oh, that's not how things normally happen here because it wasn't normal. Mm. It was the first time this had been done. So I have to say, my recent experiences of, of administration in Germany have been pretty decent. And, of course, corona has changed the situation dramatically as well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you rock up at any amped without an appointment now, it's going to be a pretty painful experience because staff numbers aren't where they could be. The space to wait in lobbies, etc., has been reduced. And so it is more stressful, I guess. But there are now systems in place where you can get an appointment, and that is a pretty amazing development. Uh, of course, it's a small step on a very long road. But yeah, when you think that the leader of the nation can't get a streamlined, oh yeah, we know it's you, <laughs> Olaf, <laughs> here's your passport, don't worry about coming to the office, uh, is a bit 
telling that the country could step up its digital game. Well, what's knobhead's asking for his passport anyway? I mean, surely he turns <laughs> up in a private jet, right? Yeah, I think the other thing that he pointed out that was that was rather concerning. Actually, no, he did. Sorry, he didn't point it out. It was, it was just mentioned in Wirtschaftsfucker. The chancellery where Olaf Scholz's offices are has no secure line for video calls, meaning that Scholz has to get in a car to the defense ministry when he needs to have sensitive teleconferences with NATO colleagues. Which I assume is a daily occurrence, if not every other day. I'm assuming at the moment, yeah. 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 And that is something that is kind of like, you could fix that. You could fix that real fast. Like, I don't understand how that's not already been dealt with as a requirement for a modern government. It seems a bit odd. Uh, then again, we don't necessarily know where Boris Johnson or Joe Biden are having their teleconferences. Are they having them in their office? Are they doing them on their phones? I don't know. Uh, who, who knows? And we've got added to this a rather more disturbing story about uh, weapons that were being sent to Ukraine, these Mars 2 rocket launchers. And one of the problems that Germany found is they cannot fire a large part of their own ammunition because a software update has not been completed and won't be completed until the end of the year. And they've missed this software update, which means they have these rocket launchers that don't really work. And the only reason they're able to send them to Ukraine is because the US has ammunition that apparently is compatible. Uh, so we, again, we have another sort of embarrassing moment with regards to the relationship with Ukraine, weapons transports, but also modernization. Of course, with things like devices like this, usually the software update isn't something you do over the internet. It's something that comes uh, maybe on a USB drive or in some cases CD-ROMs still. They're usually not something that's transmitted online, but still it does suggest that someone's dropped the ball in that area. So there is obviously need for updating. Of course, uh, your favorite topic, the fax machine, made an appearance mm. in the article and the discussion mm. around digitalization because we've got 1,600 fax machines still in Berlin's Bundestag. And I'm not going to repeat what I said two weeks ago about fax machines actually being quite secure. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. I mean, if I were to ask you before you'd read this article, how many fax machines do you think the Bundestag has? How many would you have guessed? I probably would have said more. I would have said like 2,000. I would have said there was like loads. <laughs> I'd assume that they would all have one at least in every office. I, I would have said maybe 150. Like how mm. many could you really use? And I say 1,600 definitely surprised me. Uh, and I'm very pleased they're going to get rid of them. But how are they going to recycle them? There's a whole white paper needed for this. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, they're probably going to send them down to Bayern. We'll, we'll take them off their hands. I'm sure there's some <laughs> Beamta that needs a new fax machine. Uh, <laughs> The other thing that was, and this is a story from earlier this year, but it's, it's been repeated in the article we're reading from, I think it's Business Insider. And it's mm -hmm. uh, another throwback to the 1980s. Berlin also announced with some fanfare last year that teachers would finally be getting their own email addresses. Yeah. That's a failure of just local organization, right? I think it's also it's demonstrating that there is a strong resistance in the teaching community to this as well councils of teachers have put up resistance to this because there is no reason for teachers to not have their own emails apart from they don't want to have a direct line of communication with pupils parents i'm sympathetic to that the need for privacy the need for being able to log off from work is important of course but the idea that teachers <laughs> it's 2022 and they're only just getting their own email addresses is patently absurd I do think that's exactly the problem is 
having spoken to teachers and seen certainly since the pandemic the kind of interactions they have with parents i'm fully in support of teachers just ignoring emails Mm -hmm. from parents because what you have now is this after two years of the pandemic a a parents who've seen how teaching works for 25 minutes while they're in the middle of their own (laughs) sort of call and then thinking that they know everything about education it was bad enough i think beforehand but now you've got um yeah a lot of sort of dumb ideas a lot of helicopter parenting Mm. and when you hear the kind of emails the kind of conversations that are being had with parents you'd feel more for the teacher than you would for the parent i think uh so maybe this is an email address that goes to nowhere maybe that's what they've offered them (laughs) just all you get is out of office replies (laughs) sorry i can't help you I don't want to be too negative about Germany because there is some positivity. And Simon, do you want to do you want to raise the roof with the exciting news that is coming to us in September? I mean, I am quite excited about this, and that shows how <laughs> how how acclimatized I am to the culture here. Um, but this is going to directly affect me, and I think that's always a nice thing when you see these changes affecting real people with with real problems. One of the things we're going to see is coming is the e-recept. And of course, recept is prescription. So people that have long-term medications, people like me, will no longer have to call the doctor, speak to a receptionist, because the doctor's never going to talk to you on the phone, place an order for your prescription, and then be told when it will be available to be printed out, normally the next day, uh, sometimes even longer. There was a, a positive change in, in my both my doctor's clinics I changed during the pandemic mm. where they started having an answer phone message so I could just call up, leave a voicemail, and that was it, and it would be processed within 48 hours. Mm. Because beforehand, at, at the peak of the early pandemic, I was spending an hour of my time just constantly calling Whoa. to try and just place a request for this prescription. I didn't need to see a doctor. I didn't need anything, but I still had to go there in person, pick it up after spending ages on hold, being hung up on trying to get this. So I herald the birth of the e-recept in Germany. The e-prescription will make things better for people, for millions and millions of people who are Mm. on medication. Of course, there are going to be some of the older generation who don't have the app or a smartphone, and this is going to be slightly more complex for them. But the good news in Germany has provided a plan B, and that is you get the printout of your QR code, and you take that QR code to your relevant pharmacist, and they will lead you through the process. But yeah, QR codes on smart devices is going to save millions of pieces of paper because mm-hmm. 1.2 million prescriptions are written every day mm-hmm. in Germany. And that is reams of paper that are going to be saved. Yeah. So I think that is a fantastic environmental shift uh, as well as a technological one. And the fact that you're going to have these prescriptions on a server so they're easily searchable for the doctor if they need to check mm-hmm. on something. Uh, they do have this option of printing out the QR code. But... Uh, most people hopefully will adopt the app yeah it just streamlines everything it makes everything a bit more easy to access doesn't need so much interaction i mean there is a slight difference in that it's only going to be available to those with public health care insurance rather than yeah. private health care insurance and i know from people who've got private health care insurance there's a lot of app use within those companies like dirbica and things like that so i know that they have these sorts of ideas in place but it does look uh, like it will be successful it's going to be rolled out 
uh, later this year, as we said, there's going to be two pilot regions where digital prescriptions are to become mandatory from December 2022. It's also, I think it's a private company that's running it. Yeah. So there's going to be some issues. One of the prerequisites is that the uh, shareholders of the company, which is called, I think it's Gearmatic, their shareholders, along with the, the government and doctors and clinics and health insurance organizations, need to be satisfied by the rate of success before it will be properly rolled out. But yeah, I mean, it looks like in some areas, okay, Olaf Scholz can't get a passport and he has to drive to the <laughs> defense ministry to speak to his pals in NATO. But in other areas, there is some modernization. It's not all terrible. There is one other thing that I think is really useful about this and it introduces an, a new level of safeguarding. I mean, for example, for me, I have my house arts that I see with the most regularity because I have to go and get my prescription. Mm-hmm. I have my kidney doctor, my Nierenarzt, who I see twice a year. Mm-hmm. And I have my cardiologist, my cardiologist, who I see twice a year as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, they all are medical professionals who have their own opinions about what's the best treatment plan for my condition. And they have instincts. They want to try new medicines if they're available because they were too expensive before, but now they're affordable. They always want to evaluate and change the the balance of your medicines. And it could be that one doctor gives you a medicine without maybe having all the necessary information. And this system will then flag whether that medication is compatible with your other medications as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's really key. I'm lucky that my doctors communicate well with each other, but it is my kidney doctor who has all final say because Mm -hmm. the medication is most likely to destroy my kidneys if something were to go wrong. So yeah, I I think this is a really nice positive thing where a a lack of communication between your doctors is minimised in how much risk it can do in terms of the different medications people can end up on. Uh, So I think that's a really positive thing as well. Yeah, it sounds great. I guess you're going to be our guinea pig for the show then. I will be our guinea pig. There's no word on when Bayern is going to take this on. We'll probably be the last Bundesland, <laughs> but I will be QRing the fuck out of it when I'm allowed to. They're going to fax you your QR code. That's what's going to happen. They're going to fax you on one of those new fax machines from Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. So moving away from a digital futuristic Germany, we're moving back about 80 years as we go to see the RFD party conference in Riesa in Saxony, which was held over the weekend. The RFD, of course, are the alternative for Deutschland, a right-wing party with some pretty horrible people as members. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk all about their just heinous conversations as we go. <laughs> um, there's, there's loads of tidbits that came out of this uh, story. Most prominently was the fact the actual conference finished early. Yeah. Uh, instead of going over the full, was it three days it was meant to be? It finished early over an argument about Europe, of all things. And after electing their new leaders, uh, one of which is an old leader, Alice Weidel, will be the deputy leader. And Tino Schrapala is the new leader of the RFD. Uh, and they've got sort of dual leadership between Tino and Alice. Uh, it sounds like the worst duet in, in history. <laughs> they voted on various different ideas. And, and one idea was essentially this, how will Europe look in the future? And essentially, this was a bit of a an ambush by the extremist wing of the party who wanted to advocate 
the end of the EU, that maybe we need to build some walls. Where does that rhetoric come from? Mm. Obviously, there was a lot of apologizing for Russia and saying, oh, it's Russia's not really that aggressive. They didn't, I don't think they even wanted to use the word war in their statement about this. No, that was, that was a sticking point. Yeah. And eventually there was a vote on ending the conference early, which uh, eventually passed after a few um, no votes, essentially, in order not to embarrass the new um, managing board of the RFD. It does seem that this is all in chaos. Uh, what did you make of the RFD conference, Simon? I mean, it's, it's awful. Like, it's just, it's a horrible, horrible organization. And I, I'm happy that it's going so poorly for them. The most recent vote in Saxon, which has been talked about as being their, their stronghold, they no longer have any seats there at all on the local election. So that is an encouraging sign that this shift to the right, which is kind of hard to imagine for the IFD, is not playing well. I mean, obviously the RFD gained a lot of voters from CSU, CDU voters mm. who weren't happy with how right-wing these parties weren't. And I think now a lot of these people are shifting back towards uh, those conservative organisations. So that is encouraging. The thing that I saw that sort of that made me even notice this was happening uh, were a couple of the clips where Alice Vidal was being interviewed. And it was just beautiful interviewing, just ambushing her at every opportunity uh, and making her look quite foolish. And the highlights, which we're going to include in the show notes, is a video where she is given a, a magazine that is being handed out at the event where people are able to order effectively Nazi calendars. Uh, mm -hmm. Men of the SS, for example, is one of the calendars that are available to ship to your door. If you are bored of firemen or puppies and you want SS dudes, then that's the newspaper for you, apparently. And, yeah, she was quite taken aback by it, as far as Alice can be taken aback by anything right-wing. Um, there were some uncomfortable smirks, uh, some accusations of being ambushed. Uh, it is a good video uh, to watch to see how duplicitous and sort of how nasty... Uh, the face of this organization is so if you do have if you speak german or you your german is pretty decent it is worth clicking on that link in the show notes and seeing the interview because it is it's a pretty wild ride even if your german isn't great the body language alone would tell you everything you need to know i mean alice Weidel for her sins there's a term in german um hocknazig yeah. This like, sort of snooty or yeah. a snobbish attitude and she epitomizes that in my mind because she has such a dismissive overly aggressive approach to communication and mm. when she's sort of confronted with this magazine that's been sold in the conference for her party of which she is a leader she goes oh well i don't know anything about it i was sitting at the front i don't know what's happening at the back and you're like that's the problem of the rfd is they've, they've got this shiny face that they project to the public but behind the rfd is some of the most sinister shit you could imagine and it again coalesces around a figure within the party who is 
I'd say a rising star, but I guess he's been a rising star ever since its inception back in 2013, mm. a man called Bjorn Hooker. And if you don't know who Bjorn Hooker is, he's a, a former school teacher, history teacher, in fact, yeah. who rose to prominence after giving a speech at one of the conferences a few years ago where he described the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin as a monument of shame uh, and that we should be more proud of our history and that we're being kept down. It's this sort of bullshit rhetoric that you hear uh, from a lot of right-wingers about having pride in the nation. It's sort of bizarre thing to state, given that Germany is a country that really, it only shows its pride during football tournaments, and that seems to be enough for everybody. Everyone seems reasonably happy with that. But he, he was sort of trying to shock people and grab headlines, and he, he did that. But now he seems to have become a bit more of a internal operator because he, he seems to have got his tendrils right into the party. And there was an article that I was reading where he's essentially manoeuvring the party into a position where his friends have been elected, his confidants have been elected onto the board of the AfD. He's trying to push through this idea of having a single leader of the party instead of dual leadership uh, with a, with probably a mind to run for leadership at the next opportunity after the next election. I think he's a very sinister character. There's a great interview from a few years ago where they interview his uh, AfD colleagues in the Bundestag and they give them a quote and they say, who said this? Bjorn Hooker or Adolf Hitler and and, <laughs> and none of the politicians yeah. can decide what the quote is and most of them just go oh I, I couldn't possibly comment but a lot of them really couldn't you really can't tell the difference between mm. his rhetoric and Adolf Hitler's rhetoric which says everything and it's been noticeable um, he has a lot of power because he is leader of, of one of the largest groupings of the AfD in a regional parliament in Saxony-Anhalt and so he has this this sort of status within the party, but he's also an extremist of the worst sort. Aside from the fact that his face looks like melting wax, I don't know why anyone would really listen to him, but uh, because everything he seems to say is just obnoxious and designed to cause division and to speak to a very small minority of his party that believe in the most extremist things. And he's been able to operate and has been an under investigation, in fact, by um, state security apparatus for a long time. And his, uh, his side of the party has been under investigation by um, what is effectively the sort of FBI, for uh, Fassungsschutz, I think is what they're called. And this is something that is increasingly becoming obvious to people that Hooker is positioning himself to take over the party if he hasn't already. He certainly has influenced the party and he's sort of made through the push for this document about Europe, about building walls, about leaving the EU, um, all the things that the majority of Germans think are completely ridiculous. He created that situation because he was trying to force through his ideas um, and it was being blocked by the more moderate side of the party, if we can call them moderates. So it does look like total chaos. And it's no surprise to anyone that there's a Waffen SS calendar celebrating the men of the SS being sold in a magazine on display at the RFD conference, because that's the kind of shit they get up to. Mm. Um, it's something that I'm part concerned by and in part think is the reason we shouldn't be concerned, essentially. I mean, are you concerned by them? Or do you think they're a busted flush or do you think, oh shit, they're coming around the corner? Uh, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely a reason to be concerned, but we've we've seen their vote drop, so that is encouraging. It was uh, they had 12.6 percent of the vote in the 2017 national election, and now uh, down to 10.1 percent. 
last year. So there is positive news that they aren't performing as strongly as they were in 2017 because you would assume that Corona and lockdowns would play into their hands in terms of their you're being subjugated narrative, uh, masks and muzzles, all that kind of conspiracy right-wing shit that we hear. What scares me far, far more uh, are organisations like Dritte Weg, um, which are basically neo-Nazi parties. IFD has its origins in Euroscepticism and has lurched to the right, whereas there are other organisations like Dritte Weg that are basically Nazi groups, mm -hmm. and those scare me a whole lot more um, because IFD is it's racist in suits. Like Obviously, that's ab abhorrent and should not be condoned or supported, but Dritte Weg and organisations like that are are people who are going to like attack for their beliefs, and it's far more dangerous. But yeah, of course, Germany has a problem with this that has to be confronted, uh, and it's not easy. Um, but yeah, the recent turnout in the vote in Saxon is room to feel slightly more encouraged than we were in 2017. But yeah, I mean, obviously, fuck these guys, fuck them. Fuck them, fuck them. Yeah, I think there's not enough not enough fucks in our in our fuck barrel to, <laughs> to dish out on these bell ends. Bjorn Hooker started his speech at the conference um, talking about the fact that they've been under investigation by the authorities into their activities. And he described the the constitution essentially as an instrument of power for his political opponents. And it's no surprise that a, a party like the RFD or that Bjorn Hooker would be against a what is frankly the Grundgesetz is one of the greatest documents ever written, if you ask me. I think it's a fantastic bit of lawmaking and constitutional um nation building uh, that came out of the Second World War. But he's argued that that it shouldn't be up to the national constitution to decide what the RFD thinks is legal or illegal, and he, uh, especially when it comes to uh, their delegates. And in fact, enforced a vote on uh, removing a very right-wing extremist group from what they, what they call the incompatibility list, a list of, of groups that the RFD do not want to associate with. And of course, this shows Bjorn Hooker's power that 60% of the people who voted voted in favour of it. And now members of this union from Baden-Württemberg, this extremist union, are now allowed to join the RFD. So you're just going to mm. see more extremists, I think, coming into the party. I have confidence in Germany. I do, I truly do. And I think... We had a lot of alarm in 2017 when the RFD got into the Bundestag, but they've, for me, they've done nothing except moan and complain and bitch and become less and less relevant. And we saw their vote drop in the national elections. We've seen it drop in the regional elections. I'm not saying let's be complacent, but I think the more extreme it goes, the more extremist elements within the party, the more that's going to be exposed by the media because we don't have a pliant media in the way that we do in a lot of other countries in uh, Germany. I don't think there's any media outlet, um, major media outlet that's pro-RFD in any way, shape or form. I have a feeling that should Bjorn Hooker become the single leader of the RFD party, that will truly spell the demise of that party because my feeling is that the majority of Germans are smart enough to recognise when you've got a very right-wing party spouting the kinds of things that the RFD spout and Bjorn Hooker spout, standing on a stage waving his arms in the mannerisms that they might recognise from history classes, that they mm -hmm. might look at that and go, we're not that fucking stupid. No. And that's where my confidence comes from. I think they'll see right through him. He might have some minor successes, but I'm not afraid of the RFD in that sense. And I think we should react rather 
angrily to their existence rather than being sort of hand-wringing, pearl-grasping. Their shit is bunkum, you know? It's total mm. backwards thinking, let's leave the EU. No one's going to leave the EU after they've seen what happened to Britain. That was kind of the <laughs> point. Like, what kind of position is that to take? Let's build some walls. No one wants to build walls. So I don't know who's voting for them, but it won't be the majority of people in my mind. No. I mean, we were, we're lucky that we're living in a time where we're seeing IFD dwindle, but we're also seeing the rise of the Greens at the moment with Baerbock and Harbeck exactly. have really shown how good politicians can be in modern Germany. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people have every right to be disheartened with Olaf Scholz, Friedrich Merz. Like They're not doing great work, but we mm-hmm. do have currently two of the best politicians going um, mm-hmm. and seeing real things being enacted, real conversations being had. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also, I'm optimistic. I believe in, in Germany uh, getting this right long-term. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, once again, for good measure, fuck the RFD. Yeah, fuck the RFD. I can agree with that. Oh wait, there's still there's still a couple of fucks in this barrel. Uh, maybe we can <laughs> save them for later. <laughs> We can't leave you, dear listener, <laughs> on that topic. It would be too hard. It would be too brutal. And we care about you and how you feel deeply. Let's saddle up and have a chat about something that's far nicer, funnier, hopefully, uh, and definitely middle of the road. Anyone that knows Nick well, as I do, will know that he is scared of shorts. The man wears jeans all the time and... We don't know what he's hiding in them jeans, but they're obviously some, <laughs> some, some thick-ass, juicy legs, and he's keeping them for himself. Uh, so it's been hot, and my first question to Nick pretty much tonight was, have you broken? Are you wearing shorts? And he gave me a resounding yes, which means I can't see them, but I know they're there underneath the microphone as we speak Nick's naked thighs Mm-mm-mm. well I mean naked knees <laughs> oh stop teasing me I, I, I don't know what it is about shorts I, I feel that no man looks good in shorts that's the first statement no man looks good wearing shorts the worst combination of clothing that I can imagine is t-shirt shorts trainers and a cap and then I'm like what are you like a 1950s school child like what the fuck is that all about right and that's all I see is these like essentially just like little children uh running around and like oh look at my little shorts oh I've got a pastel color that's all all I can hear about (coughs) is in my head is this sort of like childlike voice because they all look men just look like kids they look like infants in shorts so that's where my dislike of shorts comes in but also it's been like 37 degrees and at some (laughs) point you have to stop wearing trousers just for safety purposes uh especially if you're going to sit in tents drinking beer but Mm. And this leads to, like, what kinds of shorts you can buy. Do you wear cargo shorts? Do you wear hiking shorts? Do you wear a pair of 1970s footballer shorts? Or do you basically ruin your credibility for the rest of your life by being seen in a pair of jorts? That, for me, is uh, the, the fashion crime of the century. The, the jorts wearers. And there's loads of them in Germany. I got on the U-Bahn the other day and it felt like every man on the U-Bahn was wearing jorts. Uh, and it made me feel slightly sick inside. Um, what's your feeling on jorts there, Simon? Yeah, I, I, 
Jorts, no, I, I'm fine, thank you. I think it, it comes from a place of Englishness because obviously our climate isn't that inducive to short wearing on a regular basis. Not really, no. And because we are, as, as a species, a pale variant, the first time you get your legs out in shorts, it is, it's going to dazzle folk. Uh, they're not ready for that kind of whiteness. So I am sympathetic. And my plan uh, is to actually start getting tattoos on my legs because I think it will encourage me to wear shorts. I don't think it's going to make me wear jorts in a hurry. But yeah, the variety of, of shorts is, is an issue. I wouldn't have cargo. I don't want extra pockets on the sides. But I am actually, I'm, I'm wearing some pretty nifty shorts right now, I have to say. Uh, I don't know if the lighting's pretty bad in here. Um, I don't know if the lads can see them. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to... Oh, I'm... Oh, I've made all sorts of errors here. I've knocked my microphone. I've walked away from it. So I'm just going to say, <laughs> to save everyone here, I'm actually wearing some pretty fancy shorts now. Uh, and they're actually a pair of Chiefs shorts from Adidas. Uh, and the Chiefs are, of course, uh, a New Zealand rugby team based in Hamilton uh, who play in the Super 12s. And they are a dope-ass pair of shorts. I actually have the full kit, uh, so I am ready uh, for the next <laughs> Chiefs Super 12 game, which we will definitely never attend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you maybe you look good in them. I, I'd have to see you, but I'd assume you were, you were going to do some training. I guess sports, football, shorts, I guess, makes sense. It's, I don't know. Or the, the people who knock around in overly large basketball shorts, that I find mm. is just a curious option like if you're gonna wear basketball shorts you've got to go the whole whack and look like a sort of full kit wanker well essentially like vanilla ice you know like <laughs> that's that's what i feel would be knocking around and in, in, in that kind of get up but um i just yeah i don't know there isn't really like what i want is a pair of trousers that you can wear comfortably in summer without burning the fuck up that are breathable. I, I don't know how they don't exist already, uh, but I feel wrong in shorts. Like, it just feels wrong. It feels wrong now. It'll feel wrong tomorrow. Uh, I don't go to work in shorts because I wouldn't put my students through that uh, <laughs> or anyone else. I was reluctantly wore them to go see the the horses the other day, uh, and I still feel like I, I made a show of myself by doing so. Um, so I'm just praying that the weather cools down a bit so I can just put my trousers back on and not concern myself too much about it <laughs> i think embrace it mate let the knees breathe let them let them see the world let them see the dressage happening live my knees don't care about dressage and they don't want to breathe <laughs> what they want to do is they want to be safely ensconced in a fine <laughs> pair of uh, denim trousers that's what we want <laughs> Hallo zusammen. Na, du? Wie geht's? <laughs> that brings us to the end of the show. We're off to fax a printed out email back and forth to each other whilst playing the dulcet tones of a dial-up modem on our mini disc players. Kawabunga, meine Damen und Herren. Hookster cutting edge, order. <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes? Only takes a minute and really helps us. You can also now do stars on Spotify. Chuck some stars our way. Bitter. Retweet us, share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home or lowercase on Twitter or 
Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash decades from home and contributing to keep us well stocked in all things facts related. We need paper. Yeah, you're damn right we need paper. Give us some paper. Um, as ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at decades from home and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40%german at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Ciao mit Fauna. Ne?